So we're going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and then we're going to go to Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. So let's begin in Matthew 28, if you would, please. Verse number 18. Matthew 28 and 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I'm glad that issue was settled right there, aren't you? Has all power in heaven and in earth. He said, Go ye therefore to the eleven disciples. Go you and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name. Somebody shout the name. Amen. Aren't you glad you know the name? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now either the apostles knew exactly what Jesus was saying or they all completely disobeyed him. Because no one was ever baptized in the titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Everywhere they were baptized in the scripture, they were baptized in the name as Jesus told them. It's apparent to me that the apostles knew the name of the Father. They knew the name of the Son. They knew the name of the Spirit. And I'm glad to tell you tonight, I know that name. And I'm glad that I've been baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. He said, go and teach all nations. What are we teaching them? Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, if you would please. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. If you're there, say Amen. Amen. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see everybody. Teddy Ruxpin. Man, that thing looked demonic. Because the, the talking was so weird. You, like there's this first couple rows aren't going to have a clue what I'm saying. You opened up the back of the bear and you put a cassette tape in it. And if you wanted it to say something, you didn't just push a button again. You had to rewind the dumb thing. And its mouth was doing weird stuff And its eyes were doing all this stuff It looked like a gremlin or something crazy and, Hi, my name's Teddy Ruxman I'm like, Lord, throw that thing out the window But people loved it Show and tell Anybody here remember pound puppies? Oh man, I had me some pound puppies Pound puppies were great for show and tell Kids have a phenomenal imagination When they start naming their pets That are not real and naming their baby dolls that are not real. But I found out at school the other day that now we don't even have to have pets. We just give names to the air. I had kids walk up to me and say, did you see so-and-so? And I'm like, ah, who's that? They're like, it's my invisible friend. I'm like, does your invisible friend eat much? Because it's lunchtime and you need to go eat your lunch. But kids are funny with show and tell. Tell your neighbor tonight, you're a child of the king. And we're, we're funny. We're funny about the way we are because uh, a lot of times, and I'm going I'm to kind of move in and out some ebb and flow here, but a lot of times we feel like because we 
present ourselves different to the world that we have done due diligence just because we have shown people that we are different. But I'm going to tell you what difference does to me. And, you know, you can get an argument going back and forth with people as to whether something's necessary. I never have understood the, the argument as to whether or not it's necessary for me to go to heaven or hell to do certain things. Because what I found is that by showing people the difference in my life, it oftentimes, if you're sensitive, will open up the opportunity because you have shown them for you to tell them. Very, very simple things. When I was a kid playing ball in the parks in the city, it was a, a popular thing. And again, I don't play ball anymore, so I don't know. I probably should. But uh, when, when I'd go to the park, they would play shirts and skins. And if you were on one team, you took your shirt off. And if you were on the other team, you left your shirt on. It was the easiest way to figure it out. And it, it worked out kind of cool if I happened to be on the skins team or whatever because I didn't take my shirt off, which they could be grateful because we didn't need models running around the city parks. <laughs> oh, Lord. How you can only imagine. And so... I would tell people, no, I, sorry, bro, you either put me on the shirts team or I'll just play with my shirt on. Like, Why? Pastor, do you believe if you'd have took your shirt off, you'd have went to hell right then? No, I don't. I do believe the scripture says that it's nakedness. I do believe there would be some issues, but I don't believe if I'd have pulled my shirt off right then just because I took my shirt off, that a lightning bolt would have came down from heaven and struck me in the head. That's not the point. The point is that we're different. We act different. They'd say, hey, uh, bro, why in the world are you wearing pants out here to play ball in 100 degree, degree weather? And my response was, was not because that's what my church teaches. My response was because it's what I choose to do. What do you mean that's why you choose to do? I mean, it's conviction. What you, conviction? Conviction for what? Conviction for the Lord. And it opens up doors. Somebody say show, show. and tell. So here's where we're at. If you read the Holy Scripture... You will find beyond a shadow of a doubt that God always intended to have a visible representation of himself in the earth. He had representation of worship in heaven. As you have heard me teach before that he created the angels and they worshiped him in the heavens. But we are not like angels. He wanted something in the earth that would worship him. Matter of fact... We're not even close to being like angels. We are made lower than the angels. We are not identified as a class of Elohim like the angels. We're nothing like the angels, but we are the image of God in the earth. We were created in His image to reflect Him in the earth and to be imagers, if I could say it like that, in the earth to reflect the goodness of God. However, Adam and Eve failed in the conquest of reflecting the image of God in the earth. They failed at that. And the children of Israel, they failed at reflecting the image of God in the earth, in the wilderness. And even as they turned their backs against God. But I want to tell you, Jesus did not fail. He is the true image of the invisible God, is what Colossians says. That in Him dwelleth all the fullness... Of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2 and 9. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the only God that you'll ever lay an eyeball on. 
See, the only way that you would ever see God in the flesh would be when God manifests himself in the flesh. And Jesus was the image of that. And he said, I came to seek and save that which was lost, which was what? The image of God that was lost through communion in the garden when they lost their image of God and sin marred that image. Jesus came to redeem that and to seek and save that. He asked the question, God asked the question in the garden, where art thou? He's God. He knows where everything is. He wasn't asking geographically, what's your position? What's your GPS coordinates? He was saying, where are you? Why are you here? Why did you do that? Why? I've, I've never known sin. Why are you where you are right now? Why are you there? And so he came knowing that they had made themselves lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Knowing that the priesthood had failed miserably. They had corrupted relationship with God and turned it into spirits of religion that ultimately defiled the purity of God by demanding that people live their lives in certain ways because they were told to do that. Well, I'm going to tell you, I was raised in Pentecost where a lot of old-time preachers built their church's holiness on fear of if you don't do it, then I'm going to expose you. That's not holiness. You can't demand holiness. The Lord said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, fall in love with me and the commandment will not be a problem. I've seen guys preach it so hard their own kids couldn't live up to it. I've seen them preach it so hard they couldn't live up to it themselves. And when they got in, in a mess and it came to their house, they stopped preaching it because it now affects their kids. And then it's like the psalmist said, oh, how the mighty cedars have fallen. Then all these people that have watched them and said, if you don't live holy, then I'm going to expose you or blah, blah, blah. And they spew off the venom of holiness. Holiness was never meant to be rude. Holiness has always been about a relationship with God. Be ye holy for I am holy. His holiness didn't come to us as rudeness. His holiness didn't come to us as abrupt and, 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 and strange. His holiness came to us manifest in the flesh, laid himself on a cross, gave his life for us. Be holy for I am holy. You, you, you got this, this war that's going on. And to be quite honest with you, you know, people were uh, very loose in my childhood with, I'm going to control your flesh with a phone. So if it feels corrupted to you and it feels evil to you and there are commercials, I know you're just watching the weather, but for some reason, bikinis sell the weather channel. Never quite got that. This forecast is sponsored by Bush Beer. I'm like, about two of those in, I wouldn't be able to see the forecast. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I, woo. I'm talking about a sip of NyQuil. I'm done. You, you understand what I'm saying to you tonight? Hey, I, I don't believe just because I walk through a hotel lobby and there's a television there and it's got the weather channel. I mean, dear God, don't tell anybody that's watching online. We have a television in our lobby. Oh, dear God. Lord, I'll repent right now. What are you using it for? Well, we use it for announcements. We use it for pictures we use it for good things well what are you using your phone for well i'm using it for email okay that's good 
using it for social media, well, that can be good. <laughs> what are you using it for? Is it for a positive thing? Is it controlling your life? The other day, it was crazy busy. We're getting ready for missions conference, and I'm tracking flights and getting everything, you know, checking on people where they're at. I looked at my little report, and it said, I picked up my phone that day every nine minutes. Every nine minutes. I dare you to go look at your report. Go look at it. See how many times you picked it up, and it'll give you the percentage of your battery that was spent on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or whatever you're using. I dare you. You can't get out of that. That's what I told. If, if you're dared, you got to do it. Go look at it and see. Because the next time you go to say, Lord, I don't have time to pray today. I'm so sorry. Just keep me safe while I rest tonight. <laughs> How much time were you on Insta today? I, and, and, and what's so crazy is we get this. We don't even know how much, like what we even looked at. We're just habitual scrollers. It's crazy. You open it up, look at it, like, man, 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 man. I'm like, man. I can't read that fast. Now, my wife can text that fast, but I can't read that fast. I can't even keep up. You can tell I live in a house full of women. Because my wife will tell you it's the truth. Is it? I can't remember which one's blue and which one's white. Whichever one is me on the text, there will be one word. And then there's my wife's. It's like... And my phone's smoking, and I look down, I'm like, no. That's it. Uh, my secretary is very similar to my wife in her texting abilities. And so there's a really neat thing on there, this voice text. So the other day, I was like, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I just said it. You can talk it out. And I tell my wife all the time, Brother Sean, I'm like, why do y'all text that much? Like, just push that button and be like, uh, hey, this is too much to text. Well, this might be some of the best preaching I've ever done. Lord have mercy. That happened tonight. I was on my way to church. And, uh, Bishop Cavanis preached for us last year. Bishop Cavanis was texting me. Apparently, he had something a little extra he wanted to tell me because my phone rang. I said, hey, Bishop. He said, that was just too much texting going back and forth for me to tell you. I just wanted to tell you. I'm telling you, God wired men right. <laughs> he did. He got it right. But thank God for detail-oriented people. Thank God for it because we'd all be lost without them, guys. This is your chance. We'd all be lost without them, wouldn't we, gentlemen? Oh, man, you guys are weak. I don't blame her for not giving you sugar tonight. It's very, very interesting how vices can get a hold of your life that were intended to be used for a good thing. You understand what I'm saying? I remember a day when if you watched uh, a television, you made a choice. You just sat down, turned it on, whatever. Matter of fact, I remember the days when they were just putting the three-collar things on there if you wanted to change your channel, you didn't sit in a recliner and do it. You got it and went click, 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 click. And then it wasn't good. So you'd be like, uh, 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 uh. you get it just right and hold your mouth cockeyed. Uh. 
like, oh, no, the president's on every channel's going to be taken. Just shut it off. What do you do? But now, entertainment has become a necessary evil because you have to communicate on the same device that you can be entertained by. And so there's an easy way to work on that. Get your heart right. And the device won't be a problem. Woo! I figured somebody would run the aisles on that. There ain't nobody running up in here tonight. Listen, listen to what I'm telling you. The glory of what we're, what we're talking about is not the glory that's revealed in me. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and it would glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is not about me being separated so people can say, ooh, that guy's holy. No, it's about me living a life of separation so that when people look at me, they say, God has done something in that man's life. And what a beautiful testimony we have. Some of us have that God has brought us out and transformed us and renewed us and like the people that knew the old us. They knew 1.0, but they don't even know how to deal with 2.0. Like these are the people that used to dictate and predicate our moves and what we were going to do. And we didn't do anything without them knowing. And they were involved in everything. And as soon as they knew just how to push the right buttons, you were ready to fight and cuss and kick and scream and all that stuff. And now they don't know how to push your buttons. I baptized a precious friend of mine just before he passed away. He had... Uh, pancreatic cancer, and I baptized him in Jesus' name right there. I cherish the video very often. He was a, a very, very precious friend to me. But there were times in, in uh, our friendship that I'd have to turn the beeper on when we were together. Because when he'd start telling stories, it was like, and I'm going to tell you, beep, you need a beep. And I'm like, hey, I can't hear all that, right? Got pretty bad. And, uh, after I baptized him in Jesus' name, his brother-in-law came to me and he said, Pastor, he said, I don't know what's happened to him. He said, but I have intentionally tried. And he said, I know this probably sounds horrible. He said, but I've intentionally tried to push him into conversations that I knew would irritate him, aggravate him, cause him to say things that he used to say at the drop of a hat. He said, I can't get him to cuss. I'm like, well, tell me the trick because I pastor it. Never mind. <laughs> so Israel failed They went chasing after other gods So Jesus gets the job done And then he leaves us with this powerful commission That now you are going to be my body In the earth and if we are the body of Christ in the earth, that means that he intends to fill every place with his embodied presence through our physical bodies. What's that mean, pastor? It means that we're not filled with the Holy Ghost to just sit on a pew and say that we're saved. It means that we're filled with the Holy Ghost to embody the spirit of Christ in the earth. That wherever we go, people look at us and say, there is something different about them. And it's not just the way they dress. There's something different about them. When they walk in the room, you can feel the difference. <laughs> Ephesians 1 and 22. And hath put all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. 
the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Somebody shout, we are the body. So let me get this to you in your spirit tonight. We were not just saved from sin, Satan, and death. It's not just what we were saved from. We were also saved for his purposes right here and right now. We were saved from sin and we were saved for his purpose. The enemy wants us to get hung up in the idea that once we've been brought out, that we're just out. Matter of fact, there's some damnable heresies that have been preached through the centuries about once you're saved... It's always say, I've always wondered how in the world they keep people coming to church. I'm not, I'm not being facetious. I mean that sincerely. If once I get saved, I don't have to do anything else. Okay. I'm good. Like, how in the world do you plan on those people coming back? And boy, they'll do it. I guess the chili cook-offs are good. I don't know. But it lets you understand... Kind of how things have developed over time that churches have become entertainment fellowship spaces. We were called to be a life-changing, soul-saving station. That when people come in contact with who we are, it directly puts them in contact with who he is. And they want to come be a part of what we are. I've been hung up on Acts 3 for the last few weeks. I can't get past it. I've been thinking about evangelism. I've, I've preached this. Many times through the years and said, you know, you, if you want a great evangelism program, you know, it's a little awkward these days when you knock on doors. People are really funny because like they're like, oh, don't breathe on me. Don't you know, it's, it's been weird. Like, how do you how do you do it? And I've, I've said for years and years, you want a great evangelist. Beside him and said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I came to the temple and the Bible said that Peter began to preach to him. This is going to mess you people up. I know it. Jesus from the prophet Isaiah. Well, why didn't he just tell him John 3.16? Well, because they didn't have John 3.16. Well, he should have just told him right then and there. Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. No, listen, that's where we miss it. That was not, I don't care what anybody says. That was not Peter's opening statement in book, the book of Acts, the second chapter. He was not preaching repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. He was preaching Jesus. He was preaching Jesus. And Acts 2.38 was a response to teaching Jesus. So when this man sits down with the Ethiopian eunuch and says to him, let me show you Jesus. He opens up. Read it for yourself. He opens up and begins to read how that he was wounded. This is Isaiah 53. So now we've got a man who has walked with Jesus face to face, arm in arm, hand in hand, watched everything that he was doing, who knows firsthand. First he was an eye, it was Peter that said we were eyewitnesses of these things. Who is saying to him, this Isaiah 53 has been fulfilled. That he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And when you get down there in about chapter 56 
in Isaiah. Of course, they didn't have chapters then, but I believe this is where uh, the apostle Peter was teaching him about chapter 56 when it starts speaking about the eunuch being able to not, he said that the eunuch was not going to be dry, but that God was going to rest his hand upon the eunuch, even though they did not deserve it. Isaiah prophesied that God was going to give eunuchs the opportunity for his presence to dwell on them. And I believe that that was the very thing that he was reading when the eunuch said to him, well, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? I'm telling you that if we'll present Jesus People will get hungry to be baptized. Why would I be baptized in the name of somebody that I don't know? Amen. Why would I be baptized? Like, why, why would I believe anything? Like, who cares? Jesus was just like another prophet or something. No, he wasn't. Let me tell you what the word says about who he was. I'm not just coming up to your Starbucks table and saying, Hey, Jack, you've been baptized in Jesus' name? I mean, I've lived in Anderson long enough to know. I know in this mission field right here, you walk up to a table like that, you might limp out. You walked up here, son. You're going to limp out of here. People don't want that. People don't want us being all abrasive. They, they, they don't want us being. Listen, can, can I just say this? It does not glorify God. And the point of showing the world is glorifying God. God, if you believe that, say amen. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what they need to know. If they don't get it, they're going to hell. You know what? I think people know they're going to hell. I'm being honest. You sit down with good-hearted people. Maybe their grandmother took them to a, a denominational church when they were kids. And you, you just start listening to what they're saying. Talk to them. Listen to their heart. And they'll say, you know, I really haven't, I haven't been to church in years. H haven't, haven't been living right. You know what that is? It's the thoughts that's gone through their minds at night when they're by themselves laying in bed and there's nobody there and they think, man, hopefully some way, somehow I'll get it right. But when Philip came to Jerusalem, the church, so to speak, said, sorry, dude, we don't let your kind in here. And when the temple wouldn't allow him to walk in, the Lord said, all right, then, Peter, you walk right this way. You can believe whatever you want. I've been to Jerusalem. It ain't no little bitty, itsy bitsy, tiny city. God sends Peter at just the right time to just the right place to meet a man who was hungry. How many of you believe it'd be all right if we just start praying, God, send me to the right place at the right time to the people that are hungry and let me show them you. So here's, here's basically where we're at. We're saved by the power of God for the purpose of God so that God might be made known. That's a, it's a sad thing to me, and I don't really know how to communicate this without it sounding sad. But it is sad to me in some extents that what we are known as as a movement is our separation. Because as soon as people start talking about us, or you start inviting them, of course, again, the whole cycle's wrong. We just start inviting them, come church, come church, come to church, come to church. They say, no, nah, I, I, I like wearing what I'm wearing. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? When we, when we immediately tell, hey, come, you need to come. You need to join our church. You need to come be a part of our church. Well, you know, I've seen how your ladies dress. But understand me. If we could get them to fall in love with the redeemer of this church, 
before we get them to fall in love with the methods of this church. This is why it is so vitally important for us to get beyond that first contact, start making contact, love people, get in their lives, get in their homes, have them in your house, sit down with them, talk. Pastor, I don't really like doing 21 weeks of Bible study. We're building relationships with them. We're talking to them. We're loving them. We're speaking over them. We're listening to them. Our Bible lessons are like, our, our, our uh, Bible study that I use primarily has got 12 or 13 lessons in it. And I've had very, very, very few times in my life that I've ever got through in less than 20-something weeks. Because when we walk in and just start giving people a drink with a fire hose, and they're like, mm, that's a whole lot. We're like, well, you're going to take it. How many people do you think that's going to glorify God? But you know what is going to glorify God? Is when you sit down with them and they open up their heart. Do you, know, do you know why counselors and therapists are so overbooked right now that you can't hardly get into one? Because people want to be heard. When their lives are shattered wreck, it's amazing to me. Have you, have you ever, any of you men ever work? I know Brother Sawyer, does. he talks to himself while he's working. I do too. Like you, you'll be working on something and you'll, you'll say it out loud and you realize when you say it, that's where, that's where it's off. You start measuring things and you say it out loud. You're like, 24 and 7 eighths. Like, that's not 24 and 7 eighths. It's 24 and a half. That's why. It, 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 there's, there's something wrong about that. Like, when you say it out loud, you recognize the error of the ways. I love it when people start telling me the scripture. I love it. Well, you know. Uh, Pastor, the Bible says in Matthew 28, and I'm like, and 19? Yes, 19. That's right. Going to all the world. Oh, yes, absolutely. I agree. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son. I'm like, yes, I agree. They're like, what? What? What do you? What do you mean you agree? I, no, there, there's no way you agree. Oh, yes. We start getting into some things where people speak things that they didn't realize. That they, they, they just had no clue. But I'm going to tell you there's a vast difference. We've been talking about this a lot. There's a vast difference in somebody saying that we believe in one God. And somebody saying we believe our God is one. Anybody that you meet will tell you they believe. If they, even if they're of a triune persuasion, they'll say, I believe in one God. But do you believe God is one? Because there is a vast difference in saying, I believe that he's one, but he manifested himself in three distinct persons. Well, we believe that God is not only one God, but we believe that he is altogether lovely. We believe that he is the image of the invisible God. We believe that in him. All things consist, and by him were all things made that were made. And in him was a life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined into darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That's what we believe. But there's got to be the showing to people. We, we want you to know what we believe. We want you to know what we believe. But before you know what I believe, you need to know who I believe in. And you need to know that he's made a difference in my life. And if he made a difference in my life, he can make a difference in your life. And people need to know, this is not about the love of a church. This is about the love of God. 
This is about the love of God that reaches beyond your wildest imagination. That you have never failed him bad enough that he doesn't know where you are. You've never made a mistake so big that God can't reach down to you where you are. I'm here to testify to you tonight. I'm going to show it and I'm going to tell it. God knows where you are. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows where your heart is. He knows what you're feeling. And his spirit is reaching in this room tonight. You don't know you don't know what I've been through. I don't. You're right. And that's why I want you to meet Jesus. Because I don't know where you've been. I don't know what's messed your world up. I, I, I don't know what you've been through, but I know somebody that does. I know somebody that knows the way you take. Amen. David said, if I ascend into the highest of heights, into the heavens even, you are with me. And if I make my bed in the lowest of hell, you're with me. Hey, hear me tonight. You're never so low that he can't reach you. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 9 to God's people who are scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey for you and I. He said to them, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We quote this a lot. A peculiar people. For what reason? Well, he's made me peculiar so I can let people know how peculiar I am. Oh, no. Well, he chose me as a holy generation so that every place I walk in, people know that's a holy person. Oh, no. No, no. That you should... Show forth the praises of him who hath called you out. Somebody say out. Aren't you glad he doesn't leave you in? Oh, Pastor St. Clair, if you just knew the stuff I was in. Well, let me tell you how to get out. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then in verse 12, he adds this. He said, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers they may are y'all ready for this they may buy your good works which they shall got to show them but they're they're reviling us They're, 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 they're persecuting us he said okay Guard your speech among the Gentiles. Because there is a day of visitation that's coming. And they need to see the good works of God in your life. Oh, I'm glad that I'm a chosen generation. I'm glad that I'm a royal priesthood. And I can't tell you how many times I've danced about that, Brother Haney. I love it. Man, that's a youth convention special. I mean, my God, you get it up there and the organ's fine. You are a chosen generation. Not so you can dance in this room. Don't stop dancing. But you got to have something more than a dance in a, in, in a convention hall or a Sunday night when you leave. Something's got to transpire in you that you're not doing what you used to do. Now you're showing the good works of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you believe that, say amen. So I'm hurrying tonight. I'm hurrying tonight. This is our identity. This is our 
calling. We have been called to show the world the love of God, that there is a difference in us. This is a heavy weight that ought to rest on the shoulders from the oldest to the youngest. I was not saved to occupy a pew. I was saved so that people could see Jesus in me. Listen to our theology. I'm telling you, listen to the way we think. It's not, I, it's not even fair to call it theology. It ought to just be called churchology. This is the way it is. We promise people, if you get saved, you'll go to heaven. Where did Jesus start teaching that? He just told, he said, look, don't be laying up treasures for yourself down here. Don't, don't, don't worry about treasures where moth and rust doth corrupt. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Nowhere did Jesus teach that as soon as you get saved, Nicodemus, I'm telling you, as soon as you're born again of water and spirit, you just start praying, God, either kill me or let the rapture happen. Oh, no. He taught his disciples. He said, I want you to pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Somebody say he deserves the glory. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say ask to go to heaven. Listen, heaven is, heaven is not my goal every single day and everything that I do. It's my final destination. I don't wake up every morning saying, well, Lord, I hope this is the day you come back. Look, I don't believe that the Lord is coming back for people that are standing there looking at their watch saying, well, it could be any time now. Pastor, preach me happy one more time. Just in case Jesus comes on a Sunday night, preach me happy one. No, no, no. He said, the whole world feels like chaos. When people walk into where you are, they're going to say, man, why do you have so much hope? Why are you so, why are you people so, I've heard crazy things about Pentecostals, but I never dreamed. I heard you were wild, but how is it that you're so calm? Because I know in whom I have believed. And I know of whom I've been sent. He didn't fill me with his spirit to walk around biting my nails all the time. Worried about where the next nuclear missile is going to come from. For the love of God Almighty, people are dying and going to hell. Let's get them. If there's going to be nuclear war, let's get the church filled up. Peter knew it when he taught this. He said, not everybody, everywhere you go is going to receive you. Oh, pastor, I tried one time and they wouldn't let me come in and teach. Okay. He said, not everybody's going to receive you. But if they come against you, shake the dust off. Go teach somebody else. Tell somebody. Look, y'all, I've been raising church all my life. God hasn't delivered me from some of the things that he's delivered some of you from. I wish my testimony was broad enough that I could just tell everybody my story and it would be enough. But that's the beauty of the body. I've never been a dope dealer. I've never never consumed drugs in my life. Never. And that's my testimony to young people. 
You don't have to walk that road to have a testimony. Can, can I just be plain here for a minute? Can I? They started this dumb thing some time ago in denominal movements that God's restoring second virginities. That don't happen. You hear me, girls? It don't happen. Young men, listen. There's no such thing. If you give it up, you gave it up. He can forgive you of it, and you can heal and move on and do great things for God. But you ought to guard everything you've got with everything that's within you and hold on to it. You don't have to leave the church to go get a testimony. Man, I feel something in that right there. Somebody that's been redeemed and yanked out of the jaws of sin as a backslider ought to testify tonight. You don't have to leave the church. God have mercy. Oh, God. Not, every, not, not, not everybody's going to receive you everywhere you go. So you need, you need to know that. But you do need to tell them your testimony. And you need to show them and tell them. Somebody say show, show. and tell. I'm closing with this. If I were to hand this microphone around tonight, which is probably dangerous, so I'm not going to do it. We used to do, Sister Jenny, uh, what we call popcorn testimonies. Do you guys do those? Well, popcorn testimonies, I remember specifically, Sister Kelly, my dad would stand up and say one word that God means to you. One thing God means to you. So people would stand up and they'd say, Redeemer, Forgiver, Healer. You understand? They'd walk, Advocate. They'd start ripping it. He's my advocate. Woo. Praise God. Woo. Shibboleth. Glory to God. They walked it. He's my forgiver. But here's the deal. Whatever you just said that he's been to you, you just became obligated. Because if he was your forgiver, then you better get ready to forgive. And if he was your healer, you better get ready to heal. Come on now. If he was your advocate, you better get ready to defend some people. Because... Church places can be really cruel sometimes with people that aren't quite getting it as fast as others think they should. Sometimes people need advocates that aren't going to go skin and fish before we get them in the boat. They need somebody that will call them every week and say, hey, I'm praying for you. They need somebody that will sit down at a table and say, I'm praying for you. Let's talk about the word together. Oh, he's my advocate. All right, get ready to be an advocate because you're his image in the earth. He's my counselor. Oh, I wish he'd take that one out. If I could change anything about Isaiah 9 6, that'd be it. Counselor. Hey, you know what? He's such a good counselor. I'm not even going to finish it. Listen, I'll say it like this. I'll say it like this. And I mean this sincerely. It is, it is funny. We got, we got men, you know. Elder, how many years you pastor? 14, 15? Yeah. Plus 30. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I heard old Bishop, uh, I believe it was, uh, get in and drive this thing. 
Did Brother Castro step out? Uh, Elvis, you're needed in the parking lot. We're coming down 60th Street, and he said, smash it. I said, no. But I'm driving in this vehicle that the restorer knows something about. When he bought that thing, you could smash it with your pinky. He took it and he said, ah, it's got some rough edges. But I see some potential in this thing. Let's invest some time and some money and some work. Let me get this all sanded down. Oh, pastor, that's too much work. It's a soul. They got so many problems. Well, welcome to the jungle. Good luck finding a sinner without problems. The richest people in the world are killing themselves. Well, why don't God send us normal people? He does. That is normal. Broken people. Shattered lives. We'll restore it. Show and tell. I want to show them how good he is. I want to tell them how good he is.